Welcome to Changemaker Rehab. Changing the world is exhilarating and overwhelming. Join me, Heather McDougall, as I host bold leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and changemakers on the front lines of the world's most pressing challenges. Discover what it means to be empowered by your mission rather than consumed by the magnitude of the problem you're trying to solve. Together, step-by-step, we stand on the legacy of others and create the world we dream about. Okay, okay. Welcome, everybody. I am Heather McDougall, host of Changemaker Rehab, and I'm so excited today. We have Adam Cho here to talk about just a multitude of really cool things he's done and is doing. Welcome, Adam. Thanks for having me, Heather. I'm excited to dive into this and see where we go. Well, the kind of big question I like to start with is, what is your dream or big vision that you kind of are moving after in your life? I think, you know, from a personal level, it's probably legacy. I want to be able to say that when the dust settles on everything that I've accomplished, that A, people that I've interacted with interacted with have had a positive experience with me, and B, that those interactions have led to more positivity and impact in, in society. So I don't know at what scope that's going to happen, but that's basically like at a baseline what I'm trying to accomplish is just doing things that are making a positive impact on the people around me and maybe uh, at scale too, potentially based on the things that I'm currently working on. I think it's such a cool notion of legacy. I often talk about legacy in the sense of we're here right now as humans at this random or seemingly random (laughs) juncture in time and space. And our responsibility or our opportunity, I should say, is that we get to build on the legacy of everybody who came before us and then add our own flair to it. And what I'm curious about is when you think about legacy, do you, how do you feel about that? Like, do you ever feel overwhelmed in the sense you mentioned, you don't really know to what scale it will come? Like, do you feel any pressure or, or not? Talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, everyone feels pressure, right? I think you're, you're in a very fortunate spot if you don't feel stress or pressure in your life. And you're a robot maybe. Yeah. I don't, (laughs) yeah. I honestly, I don't know who can actually confidently say they don't have any pressure in their life life because mm-hmm. in society today it's kind of pre-built in it's it's hardwired into society you know currently my latest endeavor is i partner with two other people to start a venture fund and i would say presently the biggest pressure is we're we're asking people for their confidence from a financial perspective to invest in us and then we're going to then in turn take that money and turn it into a outsized return on their investment right so this is a industry where your reputation and your resume lets you either continue doing it or doesn't right and so there's immense pressure from that perspective but honestly in the day-to-day i don't think about it because i'm having so much fun and enjoying the process of you know meeting successful people that want to become investors but also meeting the next wave of successful entrepreneurs that are going to be part of that paradigm that lets me say, yeah, I helped that company succeed. And as a result, they created a platform that helped thousands, if not millions of people, right? That's kind of the goal. So it's pressure, but it's good pressure. And I think there's good stress and bad stress, and this is good stress. And so I think good stress is good. Pressure makes diamonds, right? You know, it's a Mm -hmm. cliche thing to say, but you don't get further in life 
if you're comfortable. Like I, I tell, I, I teach as an adjunct and I tell my students, be comfortable being uncomfortable and you can accomplish so much. And so mm-hmm. it took me a long time to get to that point, probably like close to my late 20s before I felt comfortable being uncomfortable. What that meant was like, I was willing to say yes to things that I normally would have said no to. Uh, even if I didn't know what I was doing or even if I was totally scared on my mind, you know, if you asked me in my early teens all the way up until, uh, you know, my mid 20s to go speak on a stage, I would have been like, you're, no, I'm not doing that. But now public speaking is a lot easier for me than thinking about going skydiving, right? Uh, for most people, it's the inverse. Uh, but that didn't come overnight. It took a lot of practice and a lot of a lot of effort. But now I feel like I've, I've grown from it, right? So I think pressure can, can be good. Stress can be good in moderation. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I relate to a lot of what you're saying here. And I'm I'm interested in this this notion, right? Of of course, good versus bad pressure. And I talk with different folks too, like when I keynote or in different settings about this, on how do we decipher what <laughs> pressures we go into and which pressures to stay away from. How have you noticed that in your life? Is there are there any like signals? What is it that helps you understand those directionally? You know, I think bad stress or bad pressure, sometimes you don't realize it until gone through it a bit. And so I would be lying to you if I said I could tell immediately if it's going to be good or bad. Um, but I think where I've gotten better is if it's bad, doing something about it, whether completely re- removing myself from it or trying to change something that's happening to make it better. Uh, oftentimes, I think it's human nature to just kind of, well, it's also societally, you're trained to just kind of grit your teeth and bear it. But in reality, like you should be more outspoken about the issues that you think you're feeling. Because at the end of the day, if you don't tell people or do something about it, no one's going to think there's anything wrong in the first place, right? If it's only in your head, you can't get upset at other people if they don't know that it's bothering you or, or, or messing with you, right? So that all being said, sometimes you can't really avoid it, right? You know, you and I are both former startup founders, and uh, we've we've experienced plenty of things that we would much rather not experience, but didn't have a choice, right? And so I think the other thing that I kind of just told myself was, even if it's something that I genuinely dislike, if I can get something that I learn out of it, it's worth it, right? So, you know, I don't want to go through it more than once if I don't have to, but if it's a life lesson I can get out of it, then uh, maybe it's worth taking that medicine. So uh, it's made it a little bit easier to deal with those things like, okay, this is just another life lesson that I can use for my benefit in the future or for someone else's benefit in the future. It's like, as you're, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking of the value, at least personally speaking, the value of having, I mean, you're kind of talking about context, right? I was going to say having a vision. And that vision can be really specific or like what you were talking about with your dream, like to leave a positive impact, to leave a legacy that reflects your values and and who you are. And I think when, at least for me, when I've approached that, that pressure from that perspective, even when it's difficult to decipher, is this the pressure that's, <laughs> that's like good versus bad as such? It's like, exactly. By keeping a large context for what I'm doing in life, that helps us do just like you're saying, look at those difficult moments as, all right, yeah, this ended up being a detour that I don't want to take again, yet I learned. And because I learned, that's helping me propel forward. And I think that's just so, so important. And I agree with you. It's trial and error, right? That's mm-hmm. how I've found it. And I know I'm going to make mistakes again. I know I'm going to misunderstand what pressure feels like or, or how that how that goes. But knowing that we are not made up of like these 
not just singular moments, but not even singular projects. It's like the sum of everything we do. And if we keep that moving towards the dream, the legacy, the context we're aiming for, then everything has a positive outcome eventually. Yeah. Context is a great way to put it, right? Perspective. Uh, You know, I wasn't always with this mindset. If you ask me early on in my entrepreneurial career, it was, I wanted to be the next tech unicorn startup, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And I I lost a lot of sleep thinking about what happens if my startup fails and how I just never wanted to even discuss the topic or, you know, go through the hypothetical. But then, you know, COVID hit, uh, it put our company on ice for a bit. We... We had contingency plans in place for Black Swan events where, okay, if everything goes sideways, how long can we like stay afloat? We did all those things. But then like I had a one-two punch of like COVID hit and then my mom got diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. And uh, we were in, and I'll cut to the, the, you know, the, the good part of the story. My mom got through it all and, and she's in full remission now, but there was kind of like a midlife, quarter life, third of a life uh, moment of inflection point of, okay, what's really important in life? And it's about surrounding yourself around good people that are trying to do good things. It's being yourself a good person and doing as much good as you can. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you want everyone that walks away from having an interaction with you feeling like, hey, that's someone that I wouldn't mind running running into again. I'm not even saying like become friends with, but you wouldn't mind crossing paths with that individual again in the future. And that's kind of like mm-hmm. the baseline level of what's success for me today. It's like, I meet someone for the first time, they leave feeling like, oh, he was cool. Let's let's hope I come across that person in the future again and we recognize each other and, and we can pick up where we left off, right? So pressure for me has now changed from a monetary outcome, which I still want, right? Like I think we live in a society where financial freedom allows you to do a lot more good too, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so I still have those same like business goals in mind, but I, I think the journey to get there it has a lot less pressure uh, attached to it because uh, I, d- I know it's not the end all be all, but don't get me wrong. If I was, if I was filthy rich, then I could do a lot more good too. So I still have those same, same intentions in mind for, to chase those outcomes. What I'm hearing is it's like, you've come to a place where now these, we'll call them like outside narratives or these pressures that our culture, our societies force on us of like, oh, I need to be a unicorn tech star. Like that is this thing that defines success or, you know, now I just turned 38. And like, I remember when I was like in my early thirties, I was like, oh crap, I did, you know, I'm over 30. I'm not going to make an under thirties list. Like everything's crap now, (laughs) you know, it's like these things that there's nothing wrong with those lists, of course, but it, these pressures of like, okay, what is success? What is legacy? And what I'm hearing from you is you are at a place now where you're really comfortable or <laughs> maybe not comfortable, but you are you are centered on knowing like who you are and what that what that means. And part yeah. of that is knowing that money can be a really valuable tool. It's yeah. just that you're not motivated by the external story that we're to- taught about money and instead because I talk I've like recently been talking more about money and what is money, right? Money yeah. is neither good nor bad. And so when we can find ourselves in this place of center with, with our own identities, and I'll add one more thing to that too, that I'm hearing is when we abide by external stories of what success is in a lot of ways, we're limiting even what our potential is. And this gets for me kind of existential or spiritual in a way. It's like, we don't know what Mm -hmm. the true impact of our time here 
is doing. Just like you said, yeah. like we don't even know what a positive impact on one individual is. And yeah. for us to say, to narrow ourselves by some other definition, I think is limiting our potential. Yeah, you know, I think I'm a very competitive person. I played sports growing up. And uh, even when I play like um, video games in my very, very limited free time, I like to win, right? Mm-hmm. And it used to be the mindset of, if my company succeeds, I've won. And now the mindset has changed to if the people around me enjoy being around me, I've won. And mm-hmm. now, now I can use that as the baseline, but it still doesn't change things, right? I work with founders all the time. I work with other ecosystem players. I work with kids that are in class, whatnot. I generally want them to just have a good experience interacting with me where they might get some value out of it. Maybe not now, but maybe in the future. And, and to me, that's where my competition lays internally now is just how good of a person can I be to the others around me? And and the hope is that that social equity then converts into financial equity at some point too, right? Yeah. I'd be lying if I said like I can do all this stuff without with the without the hopes of having a paycheck coming in or whatever the case is. And that's okay too. I think people often feel like seeking money makes you a villain of some sort. And it's not the case. Mm-hmm. Like we live in a world where you have bills to pay, you have responsibilities, financial freedom allows you to be in a better spot, right? And if you're not there, that's okay too. It's okay to be a little bit selfish if you need to be. And I think that's that's kind of the benefits of of getting to a point where you you kind of know the truth, right? Because if you let other narratives lead you to what you should believe and shouldn't believe, you're just going to hate yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, need, you need to really understand what, you, what your core core beliefs are. And then I think it's a lot easier. Uh, and that didn't happen for me until I'm 35 now. My mom got diagnosed when I was 34 or 33. I can't remember anymore. It's all a blur. And so for me, it's like, it took me three decades to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and I still can't say that I figured it all out. Um, and I think that's the other part of it too. It's like, I've become comfortable knowing that like, um, I'm, I'm going to continue to learn and I need Mm -hmm. to continue to learn. So, uh, I'm very opinionated person, but it's also more from the perspective. I want to have conversations, not that I want to have combative arguments. (laughs) This is the word fun (laughs) is coming to me. And you said the word like a few moments ago or few minutes ago when you were talking about pressure and that of course there's pressure and in your current role and your current endeavors with the venture fund, which we'll get into like specifically, I realize we haven't even like talked about like, <laughs> like the businesses and what you are. So we'll get to that. But this idea that yes, there's pressure. However, in your day to day, it's fun. And it's just kind of to kind of tie it all together is it seems like how do you is like fun kind of the now is that sort of the guidepost like yes positive impact but it's like when you're having fun then all of the discomfort and all of that is is in a place where it's motivating rather than desperate yeah yeah i think you know when i first got out of school i went straight into the corporate world and I was, again, naturally competitive and wanted to do the best that I could, but I often found myself just being uninspired or bored or frustrated often. And so uh, I left that world and then went on like a professional journey of finding what I wanted to do next. And that's, I think in my late 20s, I jumped into the entrepreneur entrepreneurial world of startups and, and innovation and all that stuff. And I quickly realized that like, I liked being in the uncertain space of early stage companies just because of the types of that uncertainty led to creativity and creativity leads to outcomes. And you could see kind of like a binary zero to one of problem to solution. And it really, it really scratched the itch that I had from like a, from a mental perspective of like, this is rewarding. And so 
it has been fun. And now being on the venture side, I get to do that for not just one company idea, but for multiple. And, you know, my, my goal as a VC uh, has always been, I want to jump on your tiny ship with a drill and poke as many holes as I can in it, but then also give you the patches to patch the holes because mm -hmm. I want you to know where the problems are while they're still small and you're still in the bay and not when you're out in the great open sea and like you, you didn't realize it and all of a sudden like you have no, you don't have the tools or the, or the skills to fix it. Right. So I always say like the job of an angel investor is to know in what direction that the ship is going, but not necessarily do you have the GPS in place. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean is like, I think oftentimes early stage investors get too hung up on having all the right answers too early when a founder just simply doesn't have them. I think of a world where when I did Yonder, if someone invested a million dollars before the pandemic, all of our theses would have gotten lit on fire and thrown out the window. Mm. No matter how much due diligence we could have done beforehand, no matter how many questions and answers we could have done, it didn't matter, right? And so, but what you can do is understand if that person, do you think they have the right DNA to do it, right? The right skills, the right passion, the right motivation. Uh, and so I, I firmly believe that like my my biggest skill set in the venture world now is just, I assess people uh, mm -hmm. really, really well. Uh, opportunities change, business models change, but people stay the same, right? With you with Bogo Brush and with me with Yonder, we, we relatively didn't change much but our visions and our companies and our products did every other night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, exactly. And that brings me to, I was thinking of, let's maybe talk about some pivots. You've kind of been kind of been mentioning them as we go, but what are some of the key uh, pivot points? I don't know, is that funny? You know, whenever I say a word that's- Inflection like points, pivot points. Word, yeah. I'm always like, yeah. that's- <laughs> but they're it's like uh -huh makes so moment. much sense yeah what are some of the whether it's like in before you started yonder and how you got that or if it's something just what are some really key these like i'll say pivotal moments in your journey as a founder and yeah, yeah. What, what's something that comes to mind from a founder perspective it's when you turn someone that's skeptical or neutral on your idea into a believer so with Yonder, we had engaged a wonderful, wonderful individual. She was a practicing dentist uh, at the time. She's retired now, uh, Dr. Fong. We reached out naively to her and saying like, hey, you know, we've got this idea we want to run by you. Would you give us you know, some time? She gave us more than the time that we even scheduled, which we were grateful for. And then she basically was willing to be patient and observe to see how our product worked. And so in the beginning, it was very much like neutral term terminology and phrasing when she would introduce us to people that are working on this idea, you know, here's their thesis. It was never like a, like a stamp of approval, right? Mm -hmm. And then one day she used the product. She had a great experience with it. And then something switched in the way she explained our company and our product and how it worked. And it became one of those things like, okay, we've convinced someone that's very scientific and neutral and unbiased into a believer. That was like a huge aha moment. So I think finding someone that doesn't believe in it or is like not like a family member or friend, if it's an early idea, and the someone that's just like not opinionated in a negative way, but just more like Switzerland about the idea, like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, okay. And then, you know, keeping them engaged and seeing if you can convert them into someone that's like, yes, this is the shit. You need this in your life. You know, that was a huge aha moment that we we experienced from a, from a startup perspective. So you always want to find people that are excited about what you're doing, but maybe finding the people that are lukewarm on it or maybe even like a skeptic. And then saying, even, even to them being like, my goal is to convert you. Like, I want to keep you updated. I want to show you what we do to get you to a point where you become a believer as, as opposed to a skeptic. 
Well, and that story is so cool because obviously, like, wait, she was interested enough on yeah. some level. And then you're like step by step by step. And I'm sure all the steps weren't like perfect no. wins, right? No. It's like through the whole thing, you were able to communicate with her in such a way that even if she still was a so-called like skeptic or kind of on the fence, she continued to stay yeah. present and stay involved. And that's sort of that mid-range kind of mm -hmm. longer term thinking on like, just keep at it, keep doing your thing, keep keep showing yeah. up. As long as you feel motivated, I'll put the caveat, like if you're yeah, totally yeah, burned yeah. out and you hate it, like, you know, reassess your life. Nothing's worth hating your life over. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Don't, for, for whoever's listening, don't force yourself to do something because you think someone else wants you to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's no good outcome that comes from that. Uh, mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it'll all come full circle. So if you're, if you're pushing yourself when you shouldn't be, you know, the product's going to suffer, you're going to suffer or both. Right. So yeah, certainly I think making sure that your fuel tank for your own passion on that idea or company is, is at least, you know, it's not going on empty. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's almost like the example of what do you say? Dr. Fong. Yeah. Um, it's like her, like the energy we bring to any of our projects mm -hmm. is felt. And just like Dr. Fong, when she had that energy change and the way she started communicating, like how that created a yeah. different kind of, of ripple. And so it's just, it's the same for us as founders or what in whatever we're doing, whether you're a founder or whatever your cause or project is that you're working on. It's like being able yeah. to be in that space that, that yeah. maybe not every day feels lit up and amazing, but it's so yeah. key. Yeah. You know, I think something else that I was guilty of, and I'm sure you'll, you'll agree is we, we like to focus on the things that aren't finished instead of things that we've finished. So, mm. you know, we're raising this fund right now and we're, we're getting close to our first close. So if you're not familiar with venture capital, you know, they announce how much a fund will announce how much money they're raising, but it's very rare that they have raised it all at once and closed yeah. all at once. They kind of do it in a staggered approach. And so we're coming up on our first close, which is our first major milestone. And up until this point, you know, we've been around for six months, seven months now. Uh, we've raised um, uh, close to 75% of our target for our first close. And we've actually officially have six startups in our portfolio before our first close. And so, you know, those are huge accomplishments in six months yeah. to have that many companies invested in and, and that much money raised. But all I think about is, oh, I still need to raise this much more money, right? That's that's all I focus on. And then one day, you know, um, we're at a farewell party and, and someone that I know comes up to me and says, man, you guys have done so much in such a short amount of time. Congratulations. That's really impressive. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time in six months that I even like thought of it from that perspective. Right. And so as founders, as, as entrepreneurs, as, as people just in everyday life, our human nature is to uh, focus on the negatives, not the positives. It's, it's like, um, there's a psychological thing where finding 50 cents doesn't feels, feels uh, equal to losing a dollar. So there's, there's double the impact to negative than there's the positive. I said that the wrong way. Finding a dollar is equal to the feeling of losing 50 cents. I said it the wrong way. Yeah. So, Interesting. so it's like, so it's like, I could, I could, I could find $10 in my pocket. Right. But if I lose $5 quickly right afterwards, I'll feel like I'll feel net neutral when I should feel net positive. Cause I found five, five, yeah, you still have five $5. extra dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, so that's so human interesting. nature. There's, there's a lot of psych, there's a lot of psychological research on that in, in the space about how people would 
just default to the negative part and not not focus on any of the positive. It's like, it still kind of relates to what I was thinking about. I read a book recently called, uh, I think it's called, excuse my language, but the book is called Everything is Fucked. Mm. And it's, there's a subtitle and it's written by Mark something. I'll have to, I'll put it in the, the episode notes, but it's essentially about human nature's yeah. way of grabbing onto the negative things. And this book talks about all kinds of stuff, like what do you need to have hope and whatnot? But it also talks about how the arc of humanity really is pretty overwhelmingly positive. And while that there are still lots of challenges we face day to day that we get to improve and, you know, help evolve forward. It's like when we, when we just see that we forget that we actually are making progress. And it's sort of that like, dollar to 50 cents thing of like it's easier for us to spin in some sort of negative cycle than to celebrate the wins you know mainstream media doesn't make money with positive headlines they get clicks and attention with negative headlines right and even with like the algorithms on any of the social media platforms the controversial stuff the things that are more divided draw more attention so we just continue to reinforce those those things in our brain yeah, uh, you know, I always say that like tech companies at some point in their in their superhero v- or villain arc get to a fork in the road where we say, do we use our power for good or do we use our power for evil? Mm. And generally speaking, unfortunately, the powers for evil have more financial return, so they usually end up going down that path. But now I'm at a point now where I want to find companies that realize that but want to use those evil powers for good instead of for for evil, right? And so re- rewiring the the pathway. Say like you can still make a lot of money without selling your soul for every penny, right? Um, yes. And so you know I, I'm hopeful, right? There's a lot of young startups, younger startup founders that see that and want to you know create companies that are unicorn companies, but without like sacrificing all the morals to do it. It's one of the things that's really fun about our connection is we met maybe like three or four years yeah. ago or so. Yeah. And we were both in like the dental space, right? Vogel <laughs> brush, toothbrushes. You were working on not toothbrushes, but it was like- but in the well, space, you can yeah. Ex- very, very near field, yeah. You were creating, well, you can describe it a yeah, little bit. Yeah, So, you know, our whole thesis was that kids shouldn't go into clinical experiences with any fear or anxiety especially with the world where we live in where 80% of households have a mobile phone and where we could provide a mobile app to those kids for free. And so what we did was we'd partner with dental offices to record and take pictures of the office from front to back and show kids ahead of time, kind of like a walkthrough 3D video experience of, you know, chapter driven. So they can kind of choose their own destiny, but they can see the office, they can see the chair, they can see the tools see the people, hear their voice, become familiar with those individuals. And as a result, take a, th- uh, a threat level or an anxiety level or a stress level from an eight down to a six or a six down to a four or four down to a two. And so they might get a little bit more anxious when they actually step foot, but chances are it's not as much as they would have had they had no practice ahead of time. And so our whole goal was to have a butterfly effect. Uh, growing mm-hmm. up, I used to hate going to the dentist or the doctor because I just... I had a negative association with those places. But when you're young, for the most part, it's just checkups. There's nothing harmful or painful about those things when you're young, because usually you haven't had enough time to screw yourself over by by (laughs) abusing your body yet. But oftentimes 
those kids will have some form of an early stage experience where they're, they're maybe their parents said like, don't worry, it won't hurt. Or, or they threatened you and said, if you don't pay it, if you don't, if you don't listen, the dentist is going to pull your tooth out. You know, some of them just like try to get them to, to believe. And all of a sudden now there's a butterfly effect of, I never want to go to the dentist. Right. And then yeah. all of a sudden you've probably seen it or someone's probably seen it where there's a 45 year old person, or you are that 45 year old person that hates going to the dentist. So you don't. Right. And so our whole goal was if we can create very good, positive, early uh, interactions in a clinical setting, those people then grow up to be healthier, happier individuals in the long run. So it was very much like a, our mindset was the best investment of a dollar in the health of an individual is under the age of five. Give mm-hmm. them the the skills and the and the memories and the and the ability to be comfortable in a clinical setting. Because I think society right now definitely feels uncomfortable in a clinical setting uh, yeah. because it's just not built for it. Because user experience isn't at the forefront for healthcare. It's about making money. And so that was kind of our goal. And similar to you, similar to your mission, we wanted to make kids healthier, happier, cleaner, cleaner mouths, happier smiles, whiter teeth, because we kind of knew the ripple effect of oral health and, and the lasting impacts that it had. So I think we both had aligned missions, but completely different products. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's it's that thing too. It's a space where, this is the thing about, if we even think about change making is you have your mission, but what's the pathway that you use to impact that in the oral care space? Now there's a little bit more, you know, I don't know exactly what to call it, maybe like modern uh, brands sort of in an oral care space. Uh, Yet, even when we were first starting, it's like, this was kind of an untouched spot in terms of how can we reach people through a different market yet with these like really positive change missions. And you know, as we were kind of like rounding out this particular conversation, I, the thing that I think is so fun is, I mean, obviously you, we have no idea where life leads, but it's like we met then thinking, oh, maybe we'll like, who knows, maybe our oral care stuff will cross. And then, like yeah. you said, it's like COVID. And I mean, I can for sure see for you guys, I mean, the dental uh, industry was yeah. like the hardest hit, yeah. basically. <laughs> uh, yeah. But now that's evolved. And I'm working in partnership with a venture capital fund here in North Dakota. And it's really fun. Talk about legacy of like, okay, the things that we've learned there now, well, they've probably inspired other people, but now we get to see the the current like flock of entrepreneurs and be involved in a in a different way. And I remember when we reconnected a couple months ago, I was like, this is so fun. Now we're like both doing this. And even as you're talking, I'm like, oh, I want to drop you a connection to this company and this company. And there's a few that I think I don't have no idea if you'll be interested in, but I want to pass them on to you with the fund. So it's Tundra Ventures. Is that right? What is like kind of what's one of your what are you looking for right now or how can how can we how can our audience support what you are doing? Yeah, so we're really leaning into the Midwest, the diatribes or whatever. Uh, We're in the cold middle of the country where it's just wind blown and snowy. Right. Um, But, you know, we actually we love the values of the Midwest. We think that um, founders here start companies that are solving legitimate problems. We also understand that founders here can stretch a dollar a lot further than maybe other markets might be able to. And I think that like, it's a tougher market, right? If you want to start a company in the Midwest, you need to prove a lot more than some mm-hmm. other markets might have to before you can get validation from investors. So 
we saw that as an opportunity. We said, let's start a venture fund that's at the earliest stages, right? So uh, when the dust settles, we'll have about 35 to 40 companies in our portfolio. I'd be very surprised if more than a third of them are in a spot where they're having a, a good amount of revenue coming in. Uh, a lot of our companies are going to be pre-EBITDA, pre-EBITDA, right? They're going to be companies that are more on the customer discovery, product market fit, MVP stage, and they are going to be like, oh, we're growing 30% month over month. We'll get some of those, certainly, but it's not going to be 90% of our portfolio are companies that are more like well-defined and you can kind of see where their journey is going to go, right? And as a result of that, we felt as though the three of us had the skills necessary to work with founders that might be a little rough around the edges. Um, what I say is, and this is going to sound, maybe I'll upset some people, but uh, I say every founder is a feral cat. It just depends on how feral you are, right? <laughs> um, right. And, and we're just trying to get your house broken because <laughs> at the end of the day, like there's a little bit of like email etiquette, like uh, how you respond to things that plays a part, especially if you want to keep moving down the venture path, right? You can't go to yeah. Bessemer. You can't go to, you can't go to A16Z with like a at gmail.com email when you're trying to raise a series A or a series B, right? It's like, let us get to you early enough where there's a lot less medicine to take to fix your stuff. Let us help you on, on that journey so you can get to those conversations faster. So we're, we're fundamentally operators. We, we're, we've kind of grown up. I used to be a generator where we first met. And so mm -hmm. like I'm working with super early stage companies there, whether it's through the flagship program or the G-beta model. The G-beta model, obviously a lot earlier stage. And so my whole thing is like, you never want to be discredited because of something you could have fixed, right? Whether that's right or wrong, that's the society we're in. And so let's let's give you the best chance to be at a neutral playing field with everybody else. And so uh, that's kind of where we play. Uh, we're focused on tech, CPG, and healthcare. Uh, at a surface level, those verticals seem very, very separated. Yeah. But where I see society going is they want cleaner, simpler foods, but they want the tech to track it because <laughs> they mm -hmm. know there's a health outcome tied to it. So I see a world where all three verticals are very much in, intertwined and will be more and more as we move into the future. So yeah, a product at Target might not have a tech feature or a health feature, but why not? And why shouldn't it? And mm -hmm. our, our excitement is the fact that since we aren't laser focused on one vertical, we actually have an opportunity to have a spectrum of startups that can now cross-pollinate and build synergies with one another instead of competition. You know, if we were a deep machine learning AI focused startup investment fund, eventually my, my companies are going to compete with each other and I'm going to have to pick a winner. And with the way we're going to construct our portfolio, I don't think we're going to have those types of issues, right? We're going to be able to say, these are all complementary, maybe not like each one to each other individual, but a startup in the health spot might actually have some synergies with a tech and a CPG company. And now we can make that connection. Now all of our companies have a better chance of succeeding because they can build more robust pathways and opportunities for one another. So these are all things that I've just kind of learned over the last seven years being a generator, which is agnostic at large. Yeah. Uh, being agnostic was hard in the beginning. Having to talk to a blockchain startup founder and then a pet costume company and then a health insurance payer uh, solution all in one cohort is hard. But now coming out the other side of it, it's given me an opportunity to speak all their languages freely, intertwine, and have a way to be like, oh, that'd be a great solution for these people. And they should talk to you, right? I'm talking to a, a mobile game platform company now. And I'm saying, oh, you need to talk to this company that's doing 
um, marketing for D2C customers because mm. this could be a great partnership, right? All these things that you're deep in one vertical, you just can't, you can't accomplish. So we're super excited about that. It sounds so fun. And I'm having ideas of, oh man, we, I want to get you back because it'd be really fun to talk even more about just this yeah. whole space. Because what I've even been learning is now on the investment side of, as a founder, I thought I understood the investor space and I did, right? We do yeah. somewhat, yet we're so founder centric mm-hmm. that it's like understanding what what's the business of investors, especially early stage inve- investors. Like what, like it's a business, right? Yeah. It's not just like oh, money to do whatever, yeah. but also all these other components of what. Yeah, I mean everything you're talking about, the perspective and as the value that a mentor, but an investment fund like what you're describing through Tundra, you get that perspective on helping to draw connections. How do we help founders lean on the investors rather than it? I know I felt like sort of not combative. I didn't have that kind of relationship, but like, well, I don't know. What can I say? And I just think, yeah, the more that we build these relationships together, then the whole ecosystem creates something that's more beneficial. It's funny, right? Because they gave you money because they think what you're doing is uh, high potential. But then the moment you take their money, the moment is the moment you think that you can't talk to them about stuff because like they're going to be upset with you. In reality, like, okay, let's, let's run a scenario where you invested in me and now I have an issue that comes up we're both still aligned to try to figure out the problem together. Mm-hmm. So my company survives and your investment survives. So what's the alternative is I tell you some bad news and then you go out in public and talk negatively about me while you're lighting your investment on fire. And my yeah, startup, exactly. it's not, that's not going to happen. Right. There's a weird narrative in our heads as founders. We're like, yeah. I can't tell them they're going to hate me. It's like, no, they might be upset or they might be concerned or, or nervous, but they don't want to hate you. They're, they're going to want to see a solution. I'd argue the only caveat to that is like, if you do take money from someone that you just think is a person that you don't like, then yeah, mm. that might be a little bit worse, right? So there's a little bit of like, maybe not all money is the same, right? You know? Yes. <laughs> Getting aligned. Yeah. 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 Who do you need? And it's like, the thing too is, I mean, this gets into it, right? It's what kind of money are you looking for? And just like an investment fund, or just like our like VC funds have a portfolio and we look at certain like diversification and all that. It's like as a founder too, what different kinds of investors, it's okay to have investors that are really hands-on and it's okay to have investors that are really not. It's just, are you aligned with them? Are do you feel like you can go to them like in whatever you're expecting from them? And yeah, don't, don't take money. If it's, I tell this to founders all the time, like don't take money if it doesn't feel right. Like even if they don't seem like bad investors or whatever, it's like, don't, that's just, you're just setting it up for like discomfort and whatever down the road. It's not worth it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. You know, and I think that comes with time that comes with experience. So if you don't have the time or the experience, Find people like Heather, <laughs> find people that have been through it, right? And, yeah. and ask, right? People want to help. People people want to see other people avoid the same mistakes that they made. Um, and so don't feel like you can't reach out and ask people for opinions or their experiences. And again, there's always caveats to everything I say. Yeah. But just because they feel a certain way about it doesn't mean that it's going to be the exact same for you too. So it's about getting as many data points as you can. 
to, to build the best picture for you to make an assessment then. Yeah. And then a decision. And then filtering it. I always say it's like filtering it then in through, I'm going to bring it back to like earlier in our conversation, filtering it through what your like what yeah. a centered version of you is it's yeah. like yeah. filter it through. And what does that mean for you? And lean into yeah. that discomfort, make mistakes. I'm going to make a lot more mistakes in my life. And you know, that's what it is to be human. But Adam, this is so fun. I feel like we just like keep going and going and going. I want people to be able to find you and Tundra and whatever else you're working on. What we'll put it also in the description below sure. the podcast, but what, yeah, what, how do you want people to reach out to you? Yeah, I'm still not a famous person by any means. So email is probably the best way. And uh, my goal is to always reply back. So if someone's out there that's interested in a startup, interested in, you know, maybe joining a startup or starting their own startup, there's someone that's interested in learning about angel investing or uh, venture capital investing for whatever reason, or they just want to talk about like, uh, have a an ear to borrow for their own like therapy session as a founder themselves currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, always happy to talk. And so my email is just adam at tundravc.com. And uh, just let just let me know that you you heard the podcast and then I'll know what topics that we discussed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, this is so fun. I know. I love we like like listeners. You know, I'm sure that this was. I'm sure. I'm sure this is like so valuable to everyone. I love it. We kind of were like like two different sides of the conversation. It was so fun. Yeah. I don't know. I was gonna say philosophic, but not even that. Just the yeah. the. Yeah. The, how do we move? How do we be? How do we be leaders? All of all of this, and then the like excitement of the new projects and new ventures going on. So yeah. congratulations to everything that you have going on, and I don't know I'm excited to see how our paths continue to intertwine. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This was fun. I can't believe we've already spoke for as long as we have. The mm-hmm. one thing I will say, I think, to just kind of put a nice bow on this. Is- yeah. It took me a long time to realize that my professional experiences are so intertwined with my per- my personal experiences. So like, I think the perfect dichotomy is we started this session talking about all the personal stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But for the longest time, I try to keep those things separate. And when I finally stopped trying to keep them separate and I let my personal experiences um, impact my professional uh, is I think where I truly kind of have finally thought, figured out like what I'm trying to do and how I'm trying to do it. So um, for some people that might resonate, for some others it might not. But for me personally, it, it's unlocked the next level of like my ability to grow as a professional and as a as a person as well. Perfect. Thanks, Adam. And uh, everybody who's listening, reach out to Adam, Adam at tundravc.com. I get that right? Correct. Yep. All perfect. right.